Hey guys, welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, episode 12. My guest today is Hass McCook. Hey Hass, thanks for hey. coming on the show. How's it going? Okay guys, so Hass is an engineer by training. He works as a project manager and he's done a lot of work on Bitcoin and energy usage, including some earlier work that a lot many of you probably would have seen already uh, from 2014 and 2015 that I've actually, I've actually noticed many Bitcoiners sharing that work around on social media, on Twitter and Reddit, you know, Bitcoin subreddit. Now, I actually first met Hass years ago back in a Sydney Bitcoin meetup. And he has now just recently come back into the scene and he's written up a very detailed, uh, meticulous research report on Bitcoin energy usage, and it's called The Cost and Sustainability of Bitcoin. So I thought it would be fantastic to get him on the show and just kind of talk through some of the analysis. Um, so Haas, let's start with your story in Bitcoin. So uh, as you as you mentioned, I was an engineer by background, civil engineer, uh, spent my early career building big, big things, highways, uh, bridges, tunnels, all that good stuff. Uh, after after that, I uh, went off to, to England to Oxford to, to do an MBA uh, where my uh, where my eyes were opened to kind of the, the big social issues of the of the day and uh, and, you know, how to fix the world through social entrepreneurship. Uh, but I quickly realized uh, after, you know, diving in the economics books uh, that nothing can really be achieved uh, unless we change uh, the central banking model. So uh, so those other things, are, uh, you know, all uh, all nice and good. Uh, but the but the big uh, the big prize is uh, is sound money. Great, great. So uh, so that's why. Uh, so that's why I got into Bitcoin. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So um, let's. Now, so you've released this report and it's it's out in August and it's the data is as at block 534,240. So basically the end of July. Uh, do you want to give the listeners just an overview on the report and what your approach was? So, uh, so basically uh, the report aims to capture what a, uh, a typical expenditure is on buying new mining hardware and uh, and paying the electricity bills for every uh, difficulty cycle and uh, dividing that by the amount of coins uh, uh, mined and earned by fees uh, to determine a per coin cost now with that said uh, the model is uh, is quite uh, multi multi variable there's uh, six or seven variables that have to be looked at each one uh, uh, extremely sensitive, uh, you know, to your to your assumptions and best guesses. However, the 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 big portion of the of the report is about the underlying economics uh, that feed the assumptions into the price model. So you really can't understand uh, environmental impact uh, without understanding economic impact first. Sure. How about you? Um, let's go into the economic impact. Yeah. So uh, in terms of economic impact, it's not so much uh, economic uh, impact per se. It's just the, the economic cost or what you have to pay uh, to produce a Bitcoin. So uh, if you dig into the, the detailed economics of, of perfect competition uh, and the nature of competition in the Bitcoin market, uh, the theory is that in, uh, in times of low hype, uh, the cost of mining a Bitcoin uh, will be near about the price uh, to buy one. Okay, interesting. So that's uh, that's basically the the economic cost uh, of Bitcoin. Sounds quite uh, over oversimplified and interesting uh, on its face, but uh, once uh, you get into perfect competition, which uh, which we will soon enough, uh, it uh, it kind of makes uh, a lot more sense. Okay, sure, sure. Um, yeah, look, overall, I think the report's really uh, meticulously researched and everything. Uh, I, one area where I am probably a little more skeptical is around the usage of the sort of perfect competition. Uh, you know, I, I suppose I'm, I sort of identify more with the Austrian School of Economics. And I believe that, you know, from my point of view, it's almost like setting up this kind of caricature almost of what markets are when, you know, markets aren't, they don't sort of match up what, what people kind of draw up on a blackboard. However, I think it is useful to think about things in terms of what is the incentive of the miners, you know, and what is the response, let's say, if the hash rate rises, 
based on, you know, or if the electricity price rises. And so I think that's uh, the way, um, you know, that you can analyze that. And I think in your, to, to your credit, in your report, you've done a lot of that. So, um, yeah, so let's, let's kind of dive into that a little bit further. Um, but maybe it would be good to sort of go with a bit of a overview on what are some of the key Bitcoin mining metrics that you mentioned in your report. So, for example, the uh, uh, dollars per gigahash, watts per gigahash, and so on. Those are those are the big ones. Those are the those are really the things that that drive everything. Uh, what your what your dollar per gigahash is on uh, on capex, and uh, not only your watt per gigahash efficiency, it's also uh, the price that you can buy electricity for. That is a a huge factor in the in the in the cost to mind uh, but bear in mind uh, that the capex component of the of the cost to mine a bitcoin uh, is about two-thirds with the electricity only being about one-third uh, based on uh, based on the uh, electricity price assumptions so i assume that the, the big miners uh, buy electricity for about two cents and uh, most other miners on the network have access to a four cent uh, electricity Excellent, excellent, um, excellent work. Okay, and then how would uh, in your you know in your report you talk about how some of the metrics have differed, but from two thousand and fifteen to today in August two thousand and eighteen. Oh, the the change has been uh, the change has been monumental. So uh, the but uh, more interestingly, I'll I'll give you the data for January twenty fifteen up until uh, you know the date of the report, which was you know uh, literally two weeks ago to the day. So in the past five years, dollar, dollars per gigahash has dropped 94%. And uh, in, the, in the next uh, month or so, it's about to drop another 20. Uh, so uh, we have a uh, same thing with watt per gigahash. So watt per gigahash is down 89%. And in a few weeks, it's about to go down 30. So there's uh, the Avalon A9s coming out, the, the Shenma uh, M10. On the new seven nano circuits, uh, so uh, look for cost of mining to go down substantially uh, over the next uh, two, three, or four weeks when these uh, rigs start to come online. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, and and the other point that I can see from your table is you've got there the January twenty fifteen network hash rate is two hundred and ninety five petahash, and then what's the rate now? So it's uh, it, it's uh, in June it was uh, thirty six thousand uh, three hundred uh, petahashes, but I think today uh, it's something like uh, forty three thousand uh, uh, or at or thirty forty three exahashes. Yeah, so so yeah. Uh, quite a decent amount, and and it grows uh, fairly consistently. Uh, so since two thousand and nine, it's averaged nine percent a fortnight. And uh, that's over several hundred fortnights. Yeah, that's a that's a really uh, very dramatic increase in the uh, difficulty. And uh, so, if you have a if you have a look at the rule of seventy two, uh, you know every every seven or eight fortnights the hash rate doubles. Yeah, that's definitely a very steep so, inclining uh, curve. If, yeah. So if we look at it again, uh, you know, uh, July twenty twenty one. It'll probably have grown again another twelve thousand percent from what it is now. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I think the other thing is, the what about that aspect of uh, kind of getting close to the edge of human kind of capability? You know, like the best nanometer chips and 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 that. Would you be able to outline a little bit on that? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a a big sort of philosophical discussion right there. So. Uh, there's a there's a couple of scenarios at, at play in terms of in terms of human capacity and uh, eventually you, you know because I'm a I'm a perfect market uh, economist perfect competition economist yep. I do believe that uh, that no barriers will be hit uh, I I firmly believe that the the market uh, demand is too strong uh, for a wall to be hit uh, a, a major dramatic wall. Uh, to be hit on on these kinds of things uh, we've seen walls being broken for you know uh, consistently for, for 60 years and i'm uh, i'm quite confident it'll go that way but if it doesn't uh then then you'd hope uh 
we start transitioning to, to much more efficient, uh, environmentally friendly sources of energy, or there's going to be a going to be quite a energy concern with the with the Bitcoin uh, energy use. Right, right. Okay. And uh, the other aspect is, uh, I, I like how you've got here a discussion here on the retail best miner. So you've got, you know, the Bitmain Antminer S5 back in January 2015. And as at June yep. 2018, you've got the Antminer S9i. Yeah, so that at, when I did the report, the S9i uh, was a was a was a bit cheaper or quite a bit cheaper actually than the than its competitor the uh, the Avalon uh, but the Avalon they're about to release uh, some mining rigs very soon uh, and uh, they'll be blowing the the S9j at least uh, out of the water in terms of uh, watts per gigahash uh, but you know uh, it'll only be a matter of time before ant miner releases their s10. And, uh, and, you know, the world moves on as it's been moving on uh, for the past four years. Yeah, sure, sure. So, for example, when, when, the, when the S9 uh, first came out, uh, it wasn't putting out 14 and a half terahash. So I think it was putting out, uh, you know, 12, 12 terahash at, you know, 1350 watts uh, or even less. And uh, at the date of the report, the, the S9i gave out 14 terahash. And now the S9J is giving out 14 and a half, all on the, all on the same power supply. So there is room for hardware overclocking and all that. So the the competitive momentum is is so strong. Like I said, an average of, you know, just you know over seven percent hash growth hash rate growth every fortnight. Uh, you know, unless these people are, are innovation leaders or, or cost leaders. Uh, they'll uh, they'll go bankrupt as, as companies so no matter what happens there there has to be innovation in the space uh, because in terms of cost leadership uh, there's very few savings uh, that can still be made uh, in terms of hardware manufacture costs and, and electricity prices like you can't get much lower than two cents mm, I mean, very interesting yeah i like that and uh so i think in one of the other things that you discuss in your report is around kind of like a range of you know, a dollar price range for Bitcoin mining profitability. And so you list that as yes. a, a range between 5,400 and 7,500. Do you want to outline a little bit about what, what is driving those price ranges? Yeah, so uh, the seven the 7,500, that was like the maximum top that like my model will spit out. And that's like the most, you know, uh, unicorn fanciful assumptions. And the reason why I put that, you know, benchmark of 7,500 because the Bitcoin price was flying. So I'm like, it must be profitable uh, for some people. But the but the lower the lower estimates, so the estimate of 5,400 uh, uh, comes about if prices are even lower than uh, than two cents and four cents. So assuming the big guys are getting it, you know, for even cheaper, that can uh, that can drive price down. Uh, the other one is uh, in the in the capex capital expenditure. So uh, at the at the current uh, you know average difficulty change, uh, the the cost to mine is is sixty two hundred. But if you assume that uh, uh, difficulty increase is only going to be say five percent, uh, you don't need to buy that much new hardware to keep your share of the market. So the cost to mine drops all the way down to fifty four hundred. Yeah. Now okay, in cool. a now now in a market with very depressed and deflated prices, where you see uh, where you see difficulty start to drop, uh, which is very 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 rare. But we did see a difficulty drop a couple of difficulties ago when we when we dipped down into the fifty eight hundreds. At that point, uh, the the price becomes so uh, prohibitive that people switch off their switch off their kits, and uh, back uh, during that week. Uh, the my model was showing a cost to mine of about six grand, so it wasn't uh, wasn't too far off. So those are the those are the drivers. So difficulty change uh, assumptions and uh, electricity price they're the they're the big movers. Uh, if you if you go to the report and have a look at the sensitivity analysis uh, I've made that that runs you through a. a all of the different uh, scenarios of a, of, a, of all the six main uh, drivers of the of the cost. 
Excellent. Yeah, I like that. It's um, it's a pretty cool way to you. You can see how each different or the big fact for these big factors, how the price shift or the, how the shift in that number drives a different change in the profitability or of just of the cost to mine, which in turn drives the profitability. Okay. Uh, and I think another area that was quite interesting to look at is if you go to page seven in the document or twelve of the PDF, um, you've got a chart there just showing the breakdown of the bitcoin mining pools yeah uh, did you want to just talk a little bit about how has the bitcoin network hash rate distribution what does it look like now and how has it sort of evolved over time so if uh so this is also out of date the shares have jiggled around quite a bit uh and uh, the reason for that it's a short-term reason i think until the whole bitcoin and bitcoin cash thing is resolved and miners moving uh, hash rates around you'll see a bit of uh, need a bit of time to reach uh, equilibrium uh, and a market decision on that one but basically speaking in a in a perfectly competitive environment or at least a an uh, a, monop a monopolistically competitive environment uh, a mature market will tend to uh, have three or four big players uh, eating up about 80% of the market and a whole bunch of niche little players uh, taking up the other 20. You see this in all industries, you know, big banks, yeah. uh, big phone companies, you name it. There's always a big four. So you as a, as a, as a, a big four banker, former big four accountant, <laughs> uh, you know all about the big four. So uh, what you can see from the, from, the, from the big hash rate is it's not three or four. It's about six big mining pools taking up about 80% of the hash rate. And a, and a bunch of whole little niche ones. So uh, I'm having a look at one, for example, Bitfury. They've got 1.8% uh, of, the, of the market. Their niche is they build their own hardware and mine on their own hardware. And, you know, so on and so on and so forth. Yep. Okay. And um, I, I think, you know, I agree with the point about it's like that whole Pareto principle or that sort of exactly power right. law distribution. You're very likely to see you know, that is a common occurrence and we are likely to see that many, you know, occur in many different industries and in many different you know, instances. So, yeah, I think that is a likely sort of outcome. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on, uh, you know, mining protocols? I'm not sure if you've uh, gone into that, into that sort of aspect of it, like comparison of, say, Stratum versus BetterHash and, you know, what other things that the miners are doing? Uh, to be honest, I'm more of the more of the philosophical, uh, more more of the poet than the quant when it comes to uh, spe specific uh, technical things related to Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. So I'm basically yeah, a, sure. a, a perfect competition economist. Okay, sure. Which is the easiest sure. one okay. to be because uh, there's so many assumptions you can drop uh, when you're looking at things from a from a perfect lens. <laughs> Okay, right. Yeah, I suppose that's, uh, yeah, it, it does allow certain uh, ways of uh, analyzing. Um, I think it might be now a good time to go to that next page where we've got yep. the uh, price to hash rate relationship matrix. I thought this was a, an interesting one. Um, it might be good to sort of talk through each kind of cell and just understand what is happening at each level um, yep. for the miners and for the market in general. So let's, so let's start with um, the top. Let's left. start with the. Let's. Uh, do you want to just start with actually what's happening right now? What the what the market is witnessing right now? Yeah, sure. Why not? So let's do that. So there's six scenarios. One's a, a matrix. So uh, they all have a, a, an option of whether they increase, decrease, or stay constant. So in the world of Bitcoin now, we are in a we are in a bear market, and the price is decreasing. So. Uh, when you're in a bear market and the price is decreasing, but the hash rate is happening to increase, uh, that means that uh, one, there are some miners that are you know still profitable and staying online, uh, but a lot of inefficient miners are starting to exit, uh, and miners can also start to kind of uh, prop up the price a little through their financial toolkit uh, options, hedges, all of that kind of stuff. And using their big uh, big cash reserves to to buy coins instead of mine them, uh, which can keep the 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 price uh, somewhat tracking along with the cost to mine. Now, uh, if the if the price is still decreasing and the hash rate is decreasing along with it, uh, that means that the hash rate will continue to decrease, 
until a, an equilibrium point is found between the, the cost to mine and the price to mine and a little bit of a little bit of margin uh, on top of that for the miners. So that's mm. the those are the those are the two scenarios in the case of a price decrease. Now, uh, in the theoretical chance that the price is stable and uh, and constant, uh, an increasing uh, hash rate means that uh, uh, profits decrease because your your price is the same and it's getting harder to mine uh, mine coins. But your but your cost and Ill, uh, innovation leaders will uh, tend to emerge and uh, capture. Uh, you know more of the more of the rewards now mm. if uh, if prices can is uh, is constant and there's a decrease in the hash rate uh, that means that uh, you know there's only room for really short term profits and uh, uh, and new en- <clears throat> sorry and new miners can enter the market uh, to cash in on the on the extra profit since there's uh, since there's less hash rate on the on the network mm. yeah yeah uh, lastly, uh, when the when the price is increasing and uh, the hash rate is decreasing, uh, you know that's completely irrational. Uh, you know, but, uh, the miners that exit make the make the incumbents even uh, even richer, uh, and uh, and new miners have an opportunity uh, to enter the flow to, to to capture those increasing profits. And uh, and finally, if the if the price is increasing and the and the hash rate is increasing. Uh, everyone's kind of happy, and uh, miners start to enter until uh, equilibrium is achieved between the price and cost. So it's basically those six scenarios are the are the steps in the dance uh, of uh, cost and equilibrium. Yeah, great, great summary. I like. Yeah. So 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 they never ever ever reach. So cost of Bitcoin will never be the price, but if price goes to 20 grand and the cost is still 10 like i'm like either you know that the hash rate has got to go up a hundred times so it can meet the price or the price has got to come back down to the cost to mine uh you know if cost to mine is 10 grand and and hash rate and price goes down to eight uh, either the network's going to get really slow or uh, people like bitmain that have made uh, two and a half billion in uh, profit last year can get themselves, you know, forty million dollars worth of Bitcoin and push the price back up up to the cost to mine. Mm. But I suppose those sort of metrics, those sort of um, attempts to just buy the coin to keep the price a little higher, they 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 wouldn't really last in the long run, right? Like until uh, there would need to be enough no. other people in the market also buying at that higher price. Yeah, exactly right. But since it's such a such a volatile market. Uh, uh, sharp market moves can happen and lots of people get sort of lots of traders and whatnot uh, get flushed out. Uh, so there's always uh, there's always an, uh, an upward shift of the worm away from the from the cost to mine. Cost to mine uh, goes up very slowly because even though hash rate goes up quite uh, quite quickly, uh, watts per gigahash and dollars per gigahash go down quite quickly as well. So you might find this time next year the hash rate has doubled and the cost to mine has gone up five percent. I see. Yeah. So I guess in some senses, just yeah. just because next gen is getting thirty percent cheaper. Yeah. So it's it's driven by very good technological in, improvements, which you know are kind of also why the hash rate is rising so much. Yeah. So we could hit a wall in about four or five years. Uh, you know, when we're another couple, like I think when we've hit our, our nanometer limit, uh, but who knows where Bitcoin's going to be in five or 10 years. Yeah. Uh, the energy use could be very well justified. Yeah. Actually, do you want to um, talk a little bit more about the nanometer limit? Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure. So I'm not sure about where that is uh, exactly. Uh, but from uh, from what I've read, uh, the the next gen of of Bitcoin ASICs might even be as small as uh, they may even be as small as seven nanometers. Right, and that's already pretty close so to I'm, what. So I'm having so yeah. I'm having a look here, and I can I can retweet that uh, a little later. So that so the S nine is on a is on a sixteen nano architecture. Uh, the inner silicon uh, is on a ten mil uh, nano structure, and that's a, a lot more. Uh, efficient in terms of uh, watt per per terahash than the than the S nine, uh, the Shenma is on a sixteen nano, and that's 
that's almost half the watts per uh, uh, per terahash of the S9, and uh, the Avalon A9 it will be running on a seven nano, and uh, that's even less watts per terahash. Mm, okay. Yep. Yep. So the S9 is doing about ninety-five uh, watts per terahash as of the S9J. Uh, date of my report, it was doing about ninety-eight. So that's improved a little over the past two weeks. Uh, but the Avalon will be 60. Okay. So off the bat, you've got a 40% reduction in uh, in your electricity costs effectively. Yeah, I see. Okay. And, you, and you'll probably be matched with the, with the dollar per gigahash uh, discount as well. But with that said, once all these rigs ship, you're probably going to see the hash rate go up by 50 or 60%. Yeah, and that will then, again... You know, if it's 10% of yeah. Fortnite... In eight weeks, that's 50%. So cost to mine goes up really slowly. So if you're looking at it from a market's point of view, uh, go on to your one-week view and look at the 100-day hundred, the or the 100-period uh, EMA and, and like, look, how, look how low, like look how slowly that rises and have a look at where price is right now. It's coming down to meet that 100-period that hundred, uh, hundred, uh, EMA. Mm, okay. I can uh, I can do a screenshot and uh, screenshot of that and, and tweet it as sure, well. Sure, sure. Okay, that's great. Um, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting way to sort of think about the way uh, the mining kind of works, I- interacting with the price and the upcoming uh, mining technology. Uh, let's so, go on. And, and look, the, the reason and look, the reason I say this is because we've got sort of uh, real world proxies for it. Uh, you know, one one of the good ones is the is the price of a barrel of oil versus the cost of a barrel of oil. So when the barrel of oil was at you know eighty ninety dollars, everyone was happy. The gas fields in America were going strong. The tar sands in Canada, uh, and then we saw the the barrel plummet to forty bucks, and then only the Saudis, uh, you know, could uh, could mine oil at a profit in the short term. Uh, but eventually. Uh, based on the forces of supply and demand, market speculation, all that kind of stuff, uh, the barrel of oil finds its uh, right or you know its market price. Uh, and just like in the Bitcoin world, there's a lot of information asymmetry in the in the oil and broader commodity worlds. Uh, so I think it's a it's a great they're great proxies to use. Mm, yeah, no, that's a thing. BHP would not mine gold if it if it costed them two thousand bucks an ounce to get it out of the ground. Oh, exactly, precisely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. The only problem is if uh, if uh, BHP wants to switch on a mine, it'll take them about three years, and if they want to switch off a mine, it'll also take them about three years and a lot of money. So uh, traditional commodities have very very high barriers to entry. Mm. And how would you and compare if- that with Bitcoin mining? Uh, if you, you turn the switch on, you turn the switch off. <laughs> so if it becomes, uh, if you know, price goes to a point, let's say price tomorrow flew for some reason, someone put down 50 million bucks because that's all you need to, to wreck the price, put 50 million down on on 50x leverage, uh, call, cause the margin cascade up to 15,000 bucks. Everyone that's turned off their miners in the past three months will just click the miner on, and it's profitable again. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose most. Of, I think has most of your analysis. And then when the price crashes back down, they can uh, turn the turn their rigs back off. Yeah, yeah, right. And I suppose that's kind of at the you know just the cost of having the machine and the electricity. But then I suppose you know you've got things like space, labor, heat. Um, you know, uh, and exactly kind of right. the scale considerations, and potentially some of the the software considerations as well, right? Right. Like, so my understanding is that some of the big big guys will really try and work hard to sort of optimize their software to make sure that you know the block propagation and all those other things are optimized for them to kind of get you know the best bang for buck. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, really interesting stuff. Like, I, to be honest, I'm not a you know I'm not an expert in this area. Uh, but uh, thought yeah, thought it'd be good to just get an understanding on those things. Okay, and then I'd I'd say with the, I'd say with software, considering the amount of money. So for example, so the amount of uh, money spent on ASICs every fortnight at the current moment in time is over a hundred million bucks a fortnight. Mm-hmm. 
so there's a lot of money spent uh, spent on hardware. So if you if uh, you know software fine tuning, uh, you know you'd probably be looking at you know maximum uh, a couple of hundred grand uh, a fortnight to a million a fortnight. Uh, for every uh, you know big mining house to have a have a team of in-house full-time uh, software guys uh, but yeah that software tweaking is uh, where competitive advantage is formed as well software and hardware tweaking engineering's always uh, in- investment in engineering always has a good return mm. <laughs> yeah yeah okay um, so let's move into um, yeah so we've we've touched on some of these topics before um, but it might be good to go into them so on page 11 of the report you've got around you've got the discussion on economic cost inputs and drivers so it, maybe if you could yes. outline a little bit around you know capex opex you know what first of all you know for people who are a bit new what is capex okay so uh, so capex is uh, is basically well it stands for capital expenditure and it's uh, any expenditure on uh, capital assets. So your capital as- assets, uh, you know, your your ASIC hardware. So they go on your balance sheet. Uh, server racks, if you buy them. Data centers, if you build them. Uh, if not, they're, they're operational expenses. Uh, and, uh, you know, anything else you need to buy. Cooling units, you name it. So anything that you buy and becomes an asset to your business is, uh, is your capital expenditure. Mm, yeah. So let's talk about uh, how much capital expenditure is, uh, needs to be spent. So for example, let's, uh, let's just use a nice round number. Say that there was uh, 100 uh, exa hashes of hash power at, uh, at this uh, difficulty level. All right, and uh, just to use another round number, my, uh, my mining pool has uh, 10% of the pie. So I'm pres- I'm providing uh, 10, uh, 10 exa hashes. Yeah. Now I predict that uh, next difficulty cycle, uh, the difficulty is going to increase by ten percent. So the network will need to become uh, so the network will become one hundred and ten exa hashes. Now for me to maintain my ten percent slice of the pie, I've got to have eleven exa hashes next week. So I need to bring on an exa hash of mining power if I'm to maintain 10%. Make sense? Yeah. So that's basically it. So I've, if I've got to put an exa hash on, I have a look at what my dollars per per exa hash are, and uh, that's my capex spend. So it's all about uh, a managerial strategy and forecasting ability, really, to to figure out uh, the right amount of uh, of hardware to bring on. Uh, in the cycle. So that's where a lot of uh, uh, managerial economics comes into play. Yeah, great, great point. It's really, they've got to just forecast and sort of think about how is their current hash rate compared to the overall pool. Oh yeah, and and you'll see in the sensitivity analysis, uh, you know, at an assumption of 5% difficulty increase, uh, the cost to mind is like five grand. And at a 9% cost to increase is like, cost increases to like seven and a half grand. So getting this right and wrong, uh, the, you know, miners will live and die by it, but because the, the cycle is quite frequent, uh, they've got, uh, they've got quite, quite a lot of time. Uh, usually they've got a lot of chances rather, uh, you know, right. to steady their course and, and adjust the hash power as needed. Right. Like example, if you overshot one time, then maybe you can just slightly undershoot for the next round to kind of stay in the right level. Um, exactly but from a you know but from a discounted cash flow analysis and uh, uh, opportunity cost uh, point of view uh, you you probably would have been able to buy more efficient hardware had you waited for the next cycle because uh, because the the mining rigs are becoming so efficient or so much more efficient so quickly that if you bought an s9i last week uh, the s9j that you you buy this week's already heaps better than the S nine I. Yeah, interesting point. It's, and they'll probably and they'll probably be a S nine K. So uh, the S nine Js are shipping until like the end of August, and I'm telling you, September first, S nine K will do fifteen terahash, and that'll ship throughout August, uh, throughout sorry September, and then either it'll release something new in October. And yeah, if you if you watch that, you know, Ant Miner shop. Or any of those other, you know, uh, 
minor online shops, you'll see that the the amount of uh, of product they push through is unbelievable. Mm, okay. All right. So that's capex. Let's go into opex now. So what is opex, and what are the typical costs that are involved? So opex is uh, uh, operational expenditure, and that's just uh, uh, money to keep it to keep the operation going. So uh, obviously keeping uh, keeping the miners powered up and cooled, which will probably be about ninety nine percent of your opex, and the rest is you know keeping the lights on, keeping the the fridge on. For the for the staff, the microwave, all that kind of stuff, but effectively, as far as Bitcoin mining is concerned, uh, you've got uh, aircon and you've got uh, mining, and a lot of people uh, don't know this, but uh, aircon uh, uh, typically, you know, averages about uh, between thirty to forty percent of overall energy consumption in a data center. Uh, but a lot of the new technologies, there's a couple of uh, very uh, uh, well-known now uh, data centers that they're hitting the the very low 20s, uh, 20% efficiency. So, uh, you know, because in the world of Bitcoin, uh, innovation leadership is the way to go. Uh, I'd say in the, in the big miners uh, have quite efficient cooling systems, probably around the, you know, the 20 to 25% range. Very nice. Yeah, good explanation. Okay. Um, and then... So yeah, I think we've kind of the next section there you've got is difficulty cycle, which I think we've we've sort of covered already, where you basically have to sort yep. of estimate. Uh, how about coins mined? What are the things that a miner has to think about from that point of view? Okay, so so that's a that's a very deep economic discussion uh, because obviously the coins mined it's fixed, it's twelve and a half every ten minutes, uh, but the mining fees are extremely variable. And there's a lot of strategy which goes into uh, there's a lot of managerial strategy uh, that goes into determining uh, you know uh, uh, you know which which blocks to process and which blocks to prioritize and all of that kind of stuff to to you know do fee maximization. Uh, I take the very oversimplified approach because a lot of people can't, myself included, can't process the the very dense uh, economics, and I just use the the law of averages of you know. Uh, Bitcoin's produced uh, every block and, uh, you know, trailing averages for what the daily average miners fee was in aggregate. And then just uh, using that aggregate for my uh, per coin cost figures. So, for example, now it's been pretty stable, you know, around 40, 50 Bitcoins a day. But, you know, during the hype, uh, you know, at the peak of the bubble, uh, you, know, you know, over 500 a day for two months straight. And that's just in the fees? Just fees. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's really fascinating as well, because what we're seeing now is more in, in terms of the Bitcoin ecospace, we're seeing more and more companies try to do things like batching such that they use the space more efficiently. And that has in turn led to the fees coming down. Absolutely. And there's also uh, a lot of work happening on the on the Schnorr signature front, which will uh, which will add uh, uh, efficiency through uh, signature consolidation. So Plenty of things to look uh, to look forward to if you if you don't focus too much on the price, and I think uh, once you figure out how to calculate mining costs, it'll bring you a, a lot more sobriety uh, about going to the moon. It's a it's a slow and steady uh, it's a slow and steady marathon. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think you know we're waiting on the Schnorr proposal to sort of finalize the review and eventually you know potentially being implemented and then after that then we'll have to look at you know if that assuming that does happen then would schnorr aggregation be put in and so on and yeah you know, that's a whole cycle so it might be another year or two before everything is kind of played out in, in that so um and oh, the... i think the other thing to think about with coins mind is obviously the every four years we've got the halving and so i suppose yes. at an equilibrium level we would be thinking in order for miners to kind of stay level, basically the price has to double every four years. Yes. So what will, what will tend to happen is a lot of people will tell you from right now that it's already priced in. It isn't uh, because it's extremely difficult to forecast, to set a managerial uh, strategic forecast out two years. Uh, it's hard enough to do it on a fortnightly basis, basis, let alone two years. So, we're just gonna to have to see what happens between uh, now and and leading up to the to the halving. Uh, market will decide what it wants to do. 
and uh, the miners will follow suit. They'll either turn off their rigs, or the or the price will fly, and uh, you know more people will join the join the market, or uh, or uh, you know some uh, some uh, market activity, uh, hedging activity, and whatnot uh, could uh, could go into play uh, to get to give uh, miners you know temporary breathing room. Because uh, a lot of these miners do have a bit of cash flow, uh, you know, to copper, you know, uh, a downturn for a month or two, uh, but not too much more than that. And I, I do believe the the equilibrium is is pretty self correcting within a difficulty cycle or two anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. How about power cost and emissions? Do you want to outline a little bit about what you're saying in this section here? Yes. So unfortunately with emissions, there's no real way, way of knowing uh, because uh, you don't know where the miners are mining. A lot of people say, yeah, China. A lot of people say, yeah, Iceland, here, there, everywhere. But the only thing you can do in that case is to take uh, worldwide averages. So uh, on average, uh, uh, the world's power sources uh, spit out about 600 grams uh, per kilowatt hour of energy, you know the good stuff like uh, like hydro and uh, and solar and whatnot only does about twenty compared to the six hundred. Coal and oil are the big monsters, uh, but since they hold the sixty percent share of world energy production, and most likely uh, the majority of miners mining in China will be mining on coal and oil. Uh, we're using that figure uh, to judge. Uh, Bitcoin's overall emissions, so it is, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a reasonable enough proxy. Now, uh, in terms of electricity prices, uh, and you know, according according to the the market data, uh, us being in Australia, we pay what twenty six twenty seven cents a kilowatt hour, so you don't have to really worry about mining in Australia. <laughs> uh, but but typically, they'd uh, the world average uh, weighted low price is six cents. High price is twelve cents. Uh, you put those two prices into my model: a six cent low price and a twelve cent high price, and you've got like a twelve thousand dollar Bitcoin cost. Uh, but with that said, there's heaps of uh, not only just anecdotal evidence, but good solid evidence of uh, you know uh, uh, tech tech towns in China. Uh, uh, there's one in particular, Yunnan. Uh, they've uh, they're hosting Bitmain. In their tech city, and uh, one of the incentives they've given Bitmain for for housing there is two cent a kilowatt hour electricity. Wow, impressive! Hey? Uh, there's a there's a yeah there's a couple of uh, there's a data center in uh, Washington State in the U.S. that's getting their hydro for one point seven cents. Yeah. So uh, because of the sort of perfect factors of mobility, which is one of the which is one of the uh, factors of being a, a towards perfect competition is that you can just move to wherever the cheapest electricity is uh, and because of that uh, I'm I'm assuming you know lowest lowest absolute cost for everyone everywhere mm, yeah yeah well I suppose that's that's the way you've got to think about it so yeah I, I agree with that um, okay and then the next section you got here is uh, the mining mix the network average miner so you're talking about the two different types of miners yes yes so this is where you know the big uh, the big big difference is. So uh, there's two there's two types of miners, uh, the big ones and the little ones. So the big ones, uh, let's call them the the chip fabs. So the chip fabs are basically uh, they build the hardware, uh, they mine on it for a while, and then they sell it to you. Uh, the little the little miners, uh, they they basically buy the buy the run in hardware from the chip fabs uh, and uh, run it run it at home uh, either they can do that or they can uh, they can participate in uh, in the cloud mining phenomena if that if that still exists now uh, just based on on some market data for chip fabs and uh, you know the the rumored uh, practice of, of running in machines before shipping regardless of whether they run in machines or not uh, a typical gross profit, for a semiconductor business, uh, you know, is in the area of forty-five percent, uh, but the really good ones uh, make around sixty. So that's gross profit. 
so there's still, you know, the, their net profits are much lower. Uh, but the reason I'm using gross profits uh, here in the, in the Bitcoin case is that uh, their their expenditure is built into the OPEX portion of the model. I see. Uh, so you can take gross profit on CapEx. Okay, cool. So, uh, so, uh, so when they're selling you something for a grand, they're probably it's only costing them about four hundred bucks. Mm, okay. So their return is uh, their returns are, are huge, and uh, and they provide a lot of a lot of the hash rate. So uh, you know there's a, there's a rumor that uh, that Bitmain could be controlling by itself uh, up to twenty percent of the hash rate, just based on the size of Ant Pool and the BTC.com pools. Uh, so you chuck in all of those other chip fabs that I talked about earlier. And you could say that, you know, chip fabs are about 35% of the market. Everyone else makes up 65. The chip fabs get all the big discounts. They get the cheap electricity. Uh, they don't pay tax. And uh, the little guys still get pretty, pretty cheap electricity, four cents. And when I say little guy, I do mean, you know, someone with at least a garage full of ASICs. <laughs> uh, you know, like a garage full of ASICs, you're still... You're still, you know, cracking out a good, uh, you know, uh, 150 peter hashes. Like you're putting out a, a decent amount of power. Your 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 monthly electricity bill will be in the tens of thousands, and uh, you'd probably consider that a little guy. That's funny how far it's come. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like I'm telling you, we're putting on five exa hashes a fortnight at this point. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's go now into the discussion on comparative summary. So in your analysis, you go to uh, kind of comparing Bitcoin against gold uh, in terms of oh, yeah. costs uh, for manufacture or in the case of gold mining. Um, yep. Do you want to discuss a little bit uh, an overview on this section for the listeners? Yeah. So So basically, again, it's hard to really capture the exact environmental impact uh, of bitcoin but the proxy is is whatever damage the global average electricity grid does to the planet bitcoin does to the planet so uh you know so it's again it's uh it's never bitcoin's choice of what anyone does to it bitcoin's neutral and doesn't care if you want to mine it on coal you can if you want to mine it on solar you can uh, the more people mine it on solar and hydro, the more clean it is, the more people mine it on coal, the more dirty it is. So that's basically uh, the long and short of it. Uh, so to calculate overall emissions, we have that weighted average number that I was talking about a few minutes ago, 600 grams yeah. uh, a kilowatt hour. And if you just multiply that by the kilowatt hours of the network, you get the emissions, uh, you factor in the energy needed to build ASICs, and uh, you get your overall figures of about a 100 terawatt hours a year or so uh so with gold though it's uh, it's a very very involved process uh and it's unfair to just judge uh, bitcoin versus gold in terms of uh, co2 emissions so gold still emits uh, more co2 than the bitcoin network uh, but not by the end of the year so bitcoin will eclipse the co2 emissions of gold by the end of the year mm. But there's other there's other factors. So, for example, freshwater ecotoxicity, uh, eutrophication, carcinogenics, respiratory inorganics, uh, just a whole raft of other really, really, really bad things uh, for the environment. Just uh, specifically because if you want to get gold out of the ground, you've got to rip a massive hole into the into the into the ground. So look, I was actually uh, writing, uh, preparing my uh, video for episode uh, episode nine, which is Bitcoin versus gold. So so check this out. So for all the gold we mine every year, uh, you can uh, you can fit into a, a six meter by six meter by six meter cube. Yeah, that's how much gold we pull out of the ground every year. It's not a lot. So it's basically enough gold to fill up a small uh, a small flat. But the amount of waste rock that's produced uh, is, uh, if you imagine a, a, a cone 
with a with a one kilometer diameter as tall as Mount Everest. Wow. Okay. So it's a lot of rock. It's like over a hundred billion tons of waste rock. Uh, you've got to you've got to soak this waste rock in about uh, I think it might have been something like ten billion liters of water. Uh, and then, uh, and it's not only water, it's also a mix of 400,000 tons of cyanide in this water to leach the gold out of the, out of the gold ore. Mm. Okay. So it's not just, it's not just CO2. Like there is a lot of toxicity and, and side, uh, externalities. Uh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with the, with electricity costs. So if you were to, to work out, you know, it was one of the the justifications for a carbon tax. Uh, I don't agree with carbon taxation, uh, but uh, you can make the valid case that if you were to externalize the cost of coal power into its fair price of say thirty cents a kilowatt hour, uh, cost to mine a bitcoin will be up near twenty five grand. Mm, right, right. Yeah. So now I think we could contend back on that p- particular point that I think. Um, the kind of this concept of a you know quote unquote social cost of carbon, it's there are a few I think there are a few flaws in that concept, uh, but it's probably not in the scope of you know this podcast to kind of go yeah, into yeah. that. Um, and I think I think as a libertarian, I'll agree with you on every single point on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it is for good reasons. I think we just don't have the time to kind of go into it. Maybe you know what? Maybe we could do another episode and talk into that. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, but sure, what about sure. actually, from I'm interested from an energy usage point of view as well. How would um, you know yeah. Bitcoin compare with gold in your analysis? So, uh, so right now uh, uses uh, uses the same or a bit more energy than than gold at the moment. Uh, but you know, Bitcoin, you know, with every with every spike in hash rate, uh, we have a spike in energy use. So give it by the end of the year, Bitcoin will be consuming more energy than gold. Mm. But uh, the point goes back to, to the, the foreword of my paper, but also the externalization of costs. Mm. If BHP had to externalize its costs, uh, gold would be worth like six grand an ounce. Right, right. So that's why when you start talking about uh, uh, energy use, so Bitcoin uses 0. 0.006 of the world's energy which is quite small really right so if you yeah so if you divide that market cap it's 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 too small so if you divide that market cap the current market cap by 0.006% of uh of global energy you'll have a system that can effectively you know uh you know let's say it was using up 100% of the world's electricity it would be you know uh uh you know, worth, you know, a couple of hundred trillion. Uh, but if you were to give electricity a fair price uh, and assume that Bitcoin used 100% of the world's energy, uh, that's enough to, to sustain a multi-quadrillion dollar, uh, you know, uh, world economy. And uh, if we can get our emissions down to zero, uh, it doesn't matter how, many, how much electricity energy Bitcoin uses. It's given, it's given humanity sound money at last solved so many problems exactly so the only danger of bitcoin getting bigger is uh, is societal benefit <laughs> not really environmental exactly, impact exactly uh, because the th- the thing is bitcoin will get so big uh, that it'll eventually drive innovation in the in the energy sector so you know energies will, will energy sector will see you know there's a good niche here i've got you know 10 15 billion dollars worth of customers that are going to be using energy 24/7 at a consistent rate I can sell them, you know, energy at bulk prices, yada, yada, yada. And all over the world, people will be vying for these companies, either, you know, but effectively based on, uh, based on, uh, on price and, uh, and uh, emissions rating. And as time goes on, uh, you know, uh, solar and hydro and, and all those other technologies are just going to be able to blow uh, coal out of the water in terms of dollars per kilowatt. Yeah, no, that- so I don't see it being a problem. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think the other thing that's in- important to consider here, and obviously it's fantastic to you know compare what is the real cost in terms of energy, how much energy are we using, uh, but the real true cost of a monetary standard in an economic sense is the monetary standard that you have foregone, right? And if you know the easy money, fiat money of the world enables 
like warfare and all these other things, that is also a cost, you know? So it's, it's almost, you know, people Absolutely. have this kind of funny conception of the, of, you know, as though the world was perfect, you know, like one, one analogy I've heard some people use is to say, oh, well, you know, if the world was perfect, we wouldn't spend any, you know, if there were no bad people, we wouldn't lock our doors. And therefore the cost of locking our doors is, you know, waste. But that's the reality of our world is, yeah. you know, we do need to lock our doors, you know? So I think that's also an important comparative to lay as well to think about, well, if we didn't have sound money, then we would have, you know, an unsound money. And what, what does that enable, you know? So that's what people have to sort of also consider when it comes to this. Um, yeah. But fascinating. I'll though. tell you what unsound money, I'll tell you what unsound money enables uh, Turkey, uh, Venezuela, uh, Iran. Uh, and those are just examples from the past few months exactly exactly so uh we can see uh we can see what's happening uh with unsound money and uh i think we might see this accelerate in the next uh in the next three to five years actually yeah yeah i think i think we could i mean who knows really um but uh yeah fascinating stuff so let's now go into what you've got in your conclusion of your report so uh, i think a couple of the points some of the highlights that you hit here you talk about how okay yeah we're potentially using as much energy as ireland uh, the Bitcoin cost per transaction. Oh, far yeah. more. Oh, more than. <laughs> so if uh, Bitcoin was a Bitcoin was a country, it'd be around twenty six. Uh, after I think just after Kazakhstan. Oh wow! Okay, twenty six. Uses a lot of. Oh yeah, uses a uses a good amount of energy. Uh, uh, so uh, so yeah, Ireland's uh, ranked pretty low in the total uh, total energy usage. They're, they're only a small country. You got to look at the the big ones. Your uh, your China, Brazil, uh, uh, you know USA, India, Pakistan. Uh, that's uh, that's where the big uh, big power gets used. Mm, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. So you also point uh, you also point out the potential, and I think you were touching on this earlier around the potential for Bitcoin mining companies to vertically vertically integrate up the stack. So I think that's a really yes, good point. Yes. I think uh, this is the evolution of a market, Stefan. You you know it as well as I do. Eventually, uh, that that's that's how you get your consolidation. That's how you get your your big three or four. They end up, uh, you know, going up and down their supply chain and side to side, and uh, you know, create a create a, a virtuous uh, virtuous ecosystem. So there there will be mining companies that have a brokerage arm that make a hardware wallet. Uh, you know that have an exchange. Uh, you know that have. You know that's 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 just what'll uh, that's just what'll end up happening. And and they'll probably have their own power plants and data centers and all of that as well. Mm, yeah, and we've got to consider Eventually. the size here, right? Like, if Bitcoin now is what 130 or 140 billion ish as a total market, and the market for gold is about seven yeah. trillion. Now, I think probably a good proxy oh, yeah. for global money would be around 90 trillion. Uh, in terms of that's mm-hmm. the US M3 broad money, US dollar kind of value of the world in terms of the money supply, yep. you know, then you, you, you've got to think how much more this thing can grow. Oh, yeah, so much more. Uh, it's, but like I said, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a marathon. The, the, the hodlers know what I'm talking about. Uh, a year is a very, very short time in Bitcoin. Uh, I don't know how the I don't know how the traders do it on the on the hourly. I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine a harder life. Yeah, definitely, definitely got to be uh, very kind of yeah yeah I yeah I'm not really a trader myself, so I can't really <laughs> comment. Um, yeah, so but, so you yeah. can see just in two weeks the leaps and bounds. You know things things can happen. Uh, so yeah, there's a there's a very long road ahead. I'm I'm not sure we'll we'll see McAfee numbers uh, mm. so soon. Yeah, uh, but I believe that we'll uh, we will see them. Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, uh, maybe towards uh, a little later towards uh, uh, John's lifetime. Uh, yeah yeah maybe maybe, who knows, maybe who another knows. maybe another 10 maybe 10 15 years yeah but I yeah think, he's a I think little, it's, yeah, little bit ambitious. Range. yeah okay yeah. all right well i think we're sort of getting to the end of an hour so i think it's probably time to start wrapping up um do you have yep. any final comments has uh that's uh that's about all like uh thanks uh thanks for having us 
there's a there's a whole lot more content coming out over the next couple of months and uh, probably continue uh, continue doing something uh, regularly on a on a weekly or fortnightly basis so uh, uh, do all the social media stuff like subscribe follow all that kind of all that kind of good stuff and uh, and yeah I suppose uh, we'll catch you on uh, we'll catch you next time yeah, sure. Okay, guys. So, guys, you can find Hass. Now, Hass's Twitter account is Hass McCook, spelled H-A-S-S-M-C-C-O-O-K. And as Hass mentioned, he's got a, a video series coming out, and he's got basically one video coming out per week and a accompanying blog post with that video. Uh, but if you're impatient, like like I was, and I, you know, partly because I wanted to help present this early, you can go and get the full report. I will put the link to that in the show notes page. Um, so is there anywhere else you would like the guys to find you online, Hass, or, or your LinkedIn? I'll put the link for that. Anywhere else? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, uh, LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube just so you can uh, you can get the notices when those uh, when those videos are up. Uh, I, uh, I generally post uh, evening time on Sunday for the Aussies. So the, the Europeans get it in the afternoon and the Americans uh, when they wake up. So it's an easy Sunday viewing. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Okay, guys. Okay, thanks for that, Hass. And I'll speak soon. No worries. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for listening. Okay, guys. So that was my conversation with Hass. You can find the show notes on my website, stefanlevera.com. Search SLP12. This is episode 12 of my podcast. Uh, lastly, subscribe to the podcast, Stefan Levera Podcast, on all the podcast directories like Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. If you got value out of this, please share it on your social media and also come follow me and give me feedback on Twitter at Stefan Levera. That's it from me and I'll speak to you guys soon.